Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your host, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Tonight we are going to approach the topic of the Apocrypha. What exactly should that be? There are so many works out there that Aaron has, well, he's considering doing what he did with the Book of Enoch and getting the manuscripts that he can and start to key them all to Strong's. Now, this is quite simply an off-the-hook endeavor. All of you know, you've heard me preach and teach this for well over 10 years now, that I firmly believe that uh, both the Greek and the Hebrew are true. You've all heard me state this, you've all heard me preach this, but I believe uh, that the Delich New Testament is the correct, the the uh, the finishing of the Masoretic text as far as the Bible is concerned. So uh, in our extensive biblical studies, uh, we have always put the Delich New Testament with the Masoretic text, and that is a complete Hebrew translation. On the Greek side, we have always stated that the Septuagint uh, lined up with the Edito Regia manuscript is the Greek side of the equation. So with that in mind... Uh, Aaron's going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what makes uh, a canonical book canonical, and and we need to talk about that for just a second. All of you firmly believe that uh, I am of the stint uh, that the Bible is mechanically the way it should be, and it is. Uh, Quite simply, uh, we call this biblical mechanics. The reason why there's 66 books in the canon is because there's 66 chapters in Isaiah just for starters, and that's just where it starts. However, that does not mean to say that some of the extra canonical books is not true. Although, there are a lot of them that can be absolutely proven that, no, they're they're contradicting the 66 books, therefore, they are defunct. So, with that in mind, Aaron, jump on here, uh, give us your opening thoughts, and... Why you're starting to contemplate these things anyway, because you posted a really interesting Facebook post here over the last two days that, uh, well, you seem to be quite firm in your foundation, your your belief that the Bible is exactly what it says that it is. So I found that rather apropos with this broadcast tonight. So Aaron, the mic is yours. Okay, so we, like you mentioned, we have a lot of uh, apocrypha, and you got to understand what that means. So there, before we have we have our Bibles, people, 
the Bible wasn't always one thing. For over centuries, the the Bible was just you know a bunch of books that people wrote. They weren't put in one place. They weren't you know put in one book. Like nowadays, we have like one Bible we could pick up. But you know, if you lived in the time of Jesus, there were a bunch of different scrolls. If you wanted if you wanted the Book of Isaiah, you'd have to go fetch it. Okay, the the Book of Isaiah, the Book of Kings and Book of um, Genesis, they were all completely different books, and they were and, and they were just all stored in the temple if they were considered holy. So, God, uh, they had to come up with a canon when they realized that there were so many books that claimed to be holy, that claimed to be the Word of God. And the New Testament underwent this uh, this same process as well. The Jews had their uh, um, there was a council meeting. Uh, I think that was the Council of Nicaea. I, I'm not sure which one it was. That um, the church came together and put together their selection of the the canon of all the books that were going to be in the Bible. Obviously, this contained all the deuterocanonical Deuteron- books that are in the uh, book of Catholics, the, the Catholics have. The Catholic Bible has seven other books that aren't in the Protestant Bible, including Maccabees 1 and 2. And these these books were excluded from the uh, Protestant canon by the time of uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he actually questioned the the book, some of the books that we do have in the Protestant Bible, like the book of Revelation and the book of Jude. But... Um, his followers ended up uh, keeping it inside the keeping them inside of the canon. Um, so there, and you all have to understand that not every church agrees on the canon, because uh, a big thing argument people have against me whenever I bring up the Book of Enoch is that they say it's not in the Bible, and I'm just like, whose Bible are you talking about? Because the the Ethiopic church still continues to have that in their Bible, as well as the Book of Jubilees, and actually their canon is so large, it has 81 books. It's the largest canon um, in, in the world. The, um, and so with with this statement, like, that there are some church... Uh, well, let's just say that the Protestant Bible, which most of you are familiar with, the 66 books with, which my dad um, pointed out, are typically... It contains the proto-canon, and that is the books that every Bible has. Okay, so there are some books that the Bible uh, that some churches don't agree with, and then there's some churches that uh, some books that all churches agree with. And the proto-canon is pretty much the books that all the churches agree with. Everyone agrees with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, all the way to Malachi. Every church agrees with that. You're not really you don't really have a Bible if you don't have all of those. So, yeah, there are people out there who try to attack Christianity by saying that, um, not, I mean, the, the canon isn't very stable and like that we don't, we just pick whichever ones we wanted. No, that's not true. There were some books that stood out from all the others and God made it quite clear to the, to the church fathers which ones were to be contained in the canon. And, um, even the most questionable ones, um, like uh, the book of Revelation, you know, it's clear that God wanted it inside the scriptures um, based on, you know, how 
it ended up staying in there. So with with that statement, um, there's a ridiculous amount of apocrypha out there. And apocrypha is usually divided into two groups. If you look up apocrypha, um, you'll usually just get the Deuterocanon that's in the uh, Catholic Bible. Um, you might get some canon, uh, some of the canons from the Russian Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox and all of those, which might be like Second Esdras or uh, the Psalms of Solomon. These these books might be in there, but there's even an even larger canon out there. So with so that there's another kind called pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha means in Greek false writing or false description. So it claims to be written by someone that it's not. So, so when you look up the book of Enoch, it's usually classified as that. They say it wasn't really Enoch who wrote it, it was someone else. And, well, the problem with that is is that the scripture quotes from it. And the book of Jude, uh, the epistle of Jude, is very clear that it was it was Enoch himself who wrote it. But when you... So really, what what? How do you classify that? So I took, I made my own secondary canon. That's what deuterocanon means. Is a secondary canon. So really, um, well, my dad saying like, we don't, uh, we don't consider, we don't elevate the apocrypha to the same level as the scripture because, like he said, the scriptures is very mechanical in nature, and if we were to add in anything to it, it kind of screw up the mechanism. But uh, the Apocrypha is pretty much um, like if we have such a big scale, which of them should we consider? And so I literally had to put together a canon for that, and that would be all the books of the Bible that the Scripture quotes or the Scripture references. And that aren't in our, our scriptures. So it's kind of like, I don't really know what I would call it other than, you know, like an alternate Bible. It's it's not, I don't really want to say that alternate Bible because it's not a replacement of it, but it's like it has its own canon, own order of books, which I actually put together myself. And they, um, and they all, you know, work as, you can cross-reference them to the Bible, so um, they kind of kind of have to study them side by side. I don't know what would you call that, Dan. I'm not sure. You know, I've been thinking about this since our last take on this, because this is our second take. You know, I really don't know. Um, I don't know, son. I, I have no idea what would be the proper terminology. I mean. Everybody knows that uh, <laughs> I am often making up own, my own terms. You have to uh, when you start uh, breaching uh, new topics and covering new ground. But I think it, it is detrimental that we come up with a term for it, no doubt about it. It's just that at present moment, um, well, it escapes me. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess 
I mean, if I were to release it as the Apocrypha or something, people would think it was referring to the books in the Catholic Bible. And the Catholics, they don't refer to it as Apocrypha. They refer to it as Deuterocanon. I mentioned before, it means in Greek, secondary canon. It, it means it, it's, it's secondary to the first, the protocanon, because, well, it's not contained in the Hebrew scriptures. Primarily, the uh, Deuterocanon is Greek. We don't um, we we have some fragments of Hebrew, but um, it's primarily in Greek. So that's a big thing why why it, it's hard to compare them to the scriptures because the scripture is Hebrew and Greek, and you can't really correlate and study both um, w without that. You it, it, the the Hebrew is basically imaginary. You have to just assume what the original thing was saying. And with that statement. It, what I, I don't know, I, well, I actually started doing this process of putting all the Greek manuscripts together into one document, and I called it um, Apocrypha Hellenica, which means the, the, uh, uh, the Greek Apocrypha, basically. Well, here I have uh, 25 books. Originally, I thought that the, uh, the second Esdras was only in Latin, we had no Greek manuscripts, and I was actually able to find it. But anyway, so I so I was putting together all these manuscripts, uh, and I have uh, above 300 words, uh, I mean 300 pages for this thing, and you know, 116,000 words in in this document, and this is a collection of of an, of a new, you know, I, it's just a new uh, apocrypha, and um, some of the books are actually found in the scriptures. Um, I just collected them from quotes in the scripture into one book that you can uh, correlate with uh, with verses and chapters. So I have in here the book of uh, the Lord and the book of the upright, or the book of Jasher, and the words of the seers. Those are I extracted them as uh, from from uh, different various references in scripture. So um, so what I decided. The, the rule of this apocryphal canon, the second canon, is that they're quoted in Scripture. Okay, you can go on for days about which 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 books would would have a place in Scripture, but you know you know I I tried that and I I got the numbers were too big. I could not contain all of the all of that apocrypha. It was it was ridiculous the size of it, and so so I, you know, put it down and and studied the 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 um which which ones were quoted and yeah I found the um I found a bunch of these books and you know decided on them and you know I from what I know this is the best selection I have yet. Well, let's let's let me do this. This was posted by Aaron on uh, Sunday at uh, four forty-one a.m. I'm having quite a unique struggle in my faith right now. I found so much evidence proving the Bible is true that I'm feeling the need for faith, or believing without proof, is in danger. 
I never thought that I would see unmistakable proof that the Bible was infallible and inspired by God as manuscript evidence, as well as the fact that the Bible never contradicts itself, as well as being consistent with history and science. There is no way the Bible contains so much probable evidence and as much technical information as it does, and it wasn't inspired by a higher power, a being unlimited in knowledge. All this has come to me when I researched and saw that atheism, old world theory, evolution, and carbon dating can be disproved with physical evidence. Wow. God said that we should live by faith, and yet I'm seeing so much proof of him and his word that I don't feel the need, a strange struggle. <laughs> indeed, a strange struggle indeed. But I've already stated my case, and I will never change. In order for it to even be hinted at at being truly canonical, it would have to have both sides of the equation. It would have to have the complete Greek and the complete Hebrew. Without that, to me, it's not happening. But if we have complete manuscripts in the Koinonia Greek, that we can key to Strong's, we can study, and you can prove beyond any shadow of a doubt, it does not contradict Scripture. And as Aaron already stated, that some of these books, you could actually correlate that Scripture is quoting them and vice versa. They quote Scripture. Then we have truly a mystery in our lap here. Now, he took note of the Ethiopic and at this very time, uh, we have people that is uh, grappling uh, with the Ethiopic text of Enoch, trying to help us out with a couple of uh, key phrases there in certain chapters. But are we going to contradict that? No, we absolutely can't. I mean, if the Lord our God gave them uh, over 80 for their canon, then may it be so. Because their language is intrinsically different than both Hebrew and Greek. And one thing is for sure, when you take a look at where these came from, you find these massive churches hewn out of solid stone. And it is beyond wondrous. And it, 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 it makes you stop and pause and realize that these... These people very well may have been in direct communication with angels, and it may be that history was set up uh, to the point where uh, the Lord our God had to send angelic intervention that they might survive and endure. I don't know. But as far as our canon goes, well, I have put myself to the task my entire life, my whole life, and I cannot find the end of its wonders. So, that being the case, as we get closer to the end, is this hinted at in Scripture that those uh, that uh, were the elect would shine at the end of time? I don't know. But it very well could be that these books may contain things only on the Greek side, only on the Greek side, mind you, but they may contain 
information with which will be detrimental at the time of the end. And if that be the case, then amen. May it be so. I myself don't have time to put them to task. But with that in mind, Aaron, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, the canon itself. Uh, in our last conversation, the first take of this, which which didn't turn out, uh, we discussed this rogue chapter in the book of Mark that most people think that last chapter uh, shouldn't even be in the Bible. So why don't you talk about uh, this rogue chapter in, in Mark, and are there other instances in our current Bible that scholars think don't belong there? Aaron? Yeah, I was quite curious when I looked into this. Um, uh, that that a few days later, I had received a message from a, a Muslim person, you know, of course, trying to con convert me. And what he said was that that the oh, that the Old and New Testament were inspired by God, but it was corrupted. But since I had already done the studies, I knew the answer that we have 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone, original manuscripts, and they are 99.5% the same. But there is a 0.5% that isn't the same, and there are various variations to why. Okay? I mean, but but let's not mistake. I mean, 99.5% is a big chunk of consistent evidence. And if you wanted to set out and corrupt the scriptures, you'd have to corrupt every one of those. And it's just not evidence. There's no proof that the scripture was corrupted. But as to these 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 small, this 0.5%, um, what is that? Okay, they're called textual variants. Most of them are errors. So somebody, the scribe may may have been uh, switched letters around or accidentally moved down uh, moved down a few a line down the page and started at the same word. So it just uh, so he just forgot an entire phrase or sentence. Um, and there's like misspellings. There's also notes by the by the scribe. The scribe makes notes of his uh, of the text while he's going down. So, for instance, the scripture uh, um, I actually wrote about this. So I actually wrote about this in my writings, um, and it, I I use this example. For instance, the, it was originally said, "Take care of the dirty clothes." Okay, so when you say take care of the dirty clothes, um, this – well, let me cut back a little. It says uh, if you were to say um, take care of the clothes, okay, so you take it out of context, okay, and you don't know who, why I'm saying to take care of the clothes, but – so the scribe, he knows the situation. He was there, or he he was there, or he had heard from someone else that I was talking about dirty clothes. I was when I said taking care of dirty clothes, that makes more sense. When I say to take care of dirty clothes, 
that means you're going to go when you're taking care of it. That usually means you're going to go put them in the in the washer, right? So, so the scribe may put in the word dirty so that you understand what it's talking about. So it may not have originally been there, but it was put there in in our language. We could put that in brackets or in parentheses. But you got to understand that the Greek, the, the original Greek, didn't have that. They didn't have parentheses or anything like that. Or um, a scribe who copied it down after him um, uh, forgot to put the uh, whatever evidence he did uh, uh, to separate it as he, he forgot to put that in. So it looked like it was added in. So really, this additions like this are, you know quite minor, and they make sense. Others can be probably te um, notes, and we've seen this in a manuscript, that it was put at the bottom of the page at the end of a verse. He put a note, um, where, where, like the story of the angel going down into the water to, so, that, so that people would be healed. That was originally a note. It wasn't originally in the manuscript. The scribe put it there, and then um, it, it got added in when... Uh, Someone later got it mixed up uh, as a note and not. Uh, so he actually started copying it in with the text. So it originally wasn't there. So um, with that statement, there are two uh, parts in Scripture that stand out among all the others. Um, they are the last chapter of Mark and uh, the the story of the Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Those are not found in the earliest manuscripts, and they're not found in a, in a few of the manuscripts. So it's believed that they were um, not originally there. They were not originally part uh, written by that by the original authors. So actually, the gospel, uh, the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark varies in length among uh, among versions. Uh, I think. One, one called Codex Washingtonus contains the longest version of the last chapter of Mark. And it's thought by some, I actually was in class today and we, in, um, at my college and we talked about it and um, it was mentioned that it could have been the, a bunch of notes by, that was variously put down by the, by the scribes at the end of the gospel. So it wasn't originally there, but they they would just put notes at the very they were they were end notes, and um, this is considered by some to be apocrypha or deuterocanon because most Bibles have the last chapter of Mark, and they have usually have the 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 woman caught in adultery passage in John. Like we literally have verses to it, so if you cut it out, it wouldn't make sense when you're when you're reading your Bible. You know there would be like the first few verses of uh, John chapter eight would be gone. So that's uh, that's a big reason why people you tend to keep it there. So, um, Dad, what do you think about that? Why why would not the original manuscripts have them? Um, and how would you interpret that? Oh, this is very small to me. This is a very small thing. When I first read the Bible, uh, 
well, my first memory of it. You have to come to the grips with the simple fact that, well, if Moses wrote the Pentateuch, wait a minute, it chronicles his own death. It chronicles what was before. What was before Moses. Moses was not eternal. Now, the only one who could have documented that tale, at least starting in chapter 2, was Adam. Okay, so I don't, I, I'd never had a problem with it because the Lord is God. And in order to complete his holy word, you have to stand outside of the timeline. You're going to have to. Now, this is why the New Testament plainly states that the scripture itself is inspired, of course, by God himself. It has to be. So, these things you're referring to is very little to me, very small to me. So, these, so you're saying these additions, uh, the, the original Gospel of Mark, the original version that didn't have the last chapter, was incomplete. That's right. It was incomplete. That's right. It was just, just like whatever Moses could have wrote, whatever Adam could have wrote, was incomplete. The Lord, their God, had to have wrote the first chapter. I mean, the real author of the story is there, impregnated in the very first chapter when the Spirit did flutter. That's the author of the Scripture, that right there, the the spark that kicked this whole thing into motion. So uh, you're wanting to ascribe the book of Mark as being written by Mark, and I never taught you that, son. Don't lie. Don't lie. Yep. I've always taught you that the first thing out of somebody's mouth if they say that Paul wrote such and such, or Matthew wrote such and such, or Peter wrote such and such. No, that's a lie. I never taught you that Paul wrote any of the scripture, or Moses, or, you know, uh, Peter, Paul, or Mary. No, son, no, no, I never taught you that. That's a lie. So because of that, because I've never swayed in that because from the first reading of the scripture when, when I was six years old, I had to grapple with these things. Well, there's no way that, that – there's no way that Moses could have written the first chapter no, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. So you come to the first chapter of John, and it makes itself perfectly clear. Walk outside. Only an utter fool would think that anything other than the Lord God could have done such a thing. And we can just take this down to a blade of grass all the way to uh, the law of entropy. Uh, all the way to the laws of light and darkness and how they're separated and why it is that water expands when it freezes. Well, that's a contradiction in itself. So these things you refer to are very insignificant in my mind. Uh, no, uh, Mark never wrote it. He was never smart enough to write it. You've never heard me say anything different. Not ever. Your mother has never heard me say anything different, nor has my mother, because such arguments were, of course, directed at my dad. But my mother never heard such questions. So 
this is at face value. If you believe the very first chapter, and you know in your heart, no, uh, sorry, Moses wasn't there. He couldn't have wrote that one. These things are very insignificant. And you realize it is as it states. I mean, the amount of mechanical information impregnated into the text. I mean, well, let's just talk about Job 28. I hate to tell you, Tesla brought the World Fair to light based on what was taught because his name is there in the Hebrew in Job chapter 28. You can prove beyond any shadow of doubt that's where he got the idea to do it. So this is the first thing, ladies and gentlemen, you need to look for. When somebody says that, that Matthew wrote Matthew, no, no, Matthew didn't. And Luke didn't write Luke. No, no, he wasn't smart enough. The Lord, he is God. It's his holy word. Now, there's something um, – uh, notice that in, in the New Testament, um, uh, the, it, is, it said that, um, that Isaiah the prophet said this, or Daniel the prophet said this. Um, it, when it's saying that, it, it, um, it means both of what Dad's saying and what it's saying by – God used people to write it. Okay, God used people to write the Bible um, through the Holy through the, His Holy Spirit, and you can see if if you were to look at the in the original languages in the Hebrew and the Greek, you can tell the person writing the the way that they write. So I have a style of writing, and my dad has a style of writing. If you were to look at both of them, you might be able to tell the. Certain evidences that show that, um, that 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 I wrote one thing and my dad wrote the other, but God was in, could inspire what I I'm about to say. So for so I so I have a choice of words when I'm writing something. I want to say I need a math assignment. I need to do my math assignment. My dad could say it a different way. But the Holy Spirit, if God wanted me to write it in the right way, he would direct which words I would use. But I can put them in whatever order. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> what you're trying to, to describe, in its simplicity, is just a simple mechanism. Just a simple mechanism. I just happen to be the tool in use to get what God wanted to get down on paper. I mean, for instance, you are referring to Daniel speaking of Jeremiah. There can be no doubt about this. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. We'll take it out of the KJV. It states, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, he never said Jeremiah said anything. No, 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 no. No, don't lie. Don't lie. It stated that what wound up in the book was the word of the Lord. That's what the Hebrew says. So all these scholars that run around and they will twist this out of its context, they're just lying. God actually just stated that emphatically – what was being called uh, these books of Jeremiah was the word of the Lord. 
<clears throat> so, so this is just a snippet of, well, of course, and Daniel realized this. He understood the riddle of the 70 years. That was the whole point. Like uh, something that you that, – that, that, um, that really stood out, you know, the first mention in the New Testament of you know, the Holy Spirit writing uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the scriptures was when Peter was saying you know, that Daniel uh, – no, that David being filled with the Holy Spirit said this in his psalm that prophesied the coming of Jesus. Basically in his saying – David himself didn't comprehend what he was writing, why he wrote what he wrote when he made that psalm. Yeah, you're you're just saying what I just yeah. said in a different it was way. The Holy I, Spirit, I mean, I, that was right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not right. contradicting you. I'm just adding to what you said. And um, yeah, that's a big thing. So so we actually, you and I actually had to sit down. Uh, like we we talked about this back and forth for a few days. About the additions to the book of Daniel and the book into the book of uh, Esther and Psalms there, that are found in the Septuagint, they are chapters that are not in the Hebrew, and they're not, but the, but they're found in there. And I and I talk with you about it. Like if if I'm to present the the. Hellenica, which was the name we came up for for the Greek Bible, if I'm to present that, shouldn't I have the additions that were given in the original Septuagint? Should I have the additions to the books, you know, to Daniel and all that, that aren't in the Hebrew? Um, could this be the same as what you said with, with, with Mark, that Daniel wasn't complete and it was added to for that purpose? What do you say? Okay, uh, let's do this. Uh, first off, there are many verses you would say were missing out of the Septuagint. Uh, they're all over the place. All over the place. There, there will be uh, verses that are missing in the Septuagint and not present in the Masoretic and vice versa. Uh, but it's all over the place. Okay, let me make myself perfectly clear to you. I said that the Masoretic and the Delich is a complete book. I never no 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 no. I never I never stated that each one is identical in its delivery because it can't be. It mechanically it can't be. This just makes me wonder, like 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 we want to put these two different the Hebraica and the Hellenica, the name that we came up for the Hebrew and the Greek Bibles. If we were to have a translation for each of those, what would we call those translations? I have no idea. Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, – I don't see how that could ever happen. There's just not enough time. Yeah, but like, like you, you would have to say that the this translation of the Hebraica and this translation of the Hellenica. Right. You couldn't have the same – you couldn't say it the same as the – NASB translation because it's like the NASB. If you when you say that you're referring to a translation of the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, the the Greek New Testament and right. the Hebrew Old Testament. But right, which which there's place the New American Standard Bible contradicts the Editoregia. I reject it. Yeah. Don't have a problem with it. Yeah. And there's places where it also contradicts the Masoretic Old Testament. I reject it. Don't have a problem with it. But however, 
uh, as far as translations go, it's 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 well, you know, I, I've taught you this your whole life, Aaron. It's it's what we have to work with, um, and 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 it's a good translation as far as it goes, um, but it's obviously seriously lacking. Um, and, and make no mistakes, if I was to truly be given a portion of time by the Lord my God to accomplish this, I would even have the verse numbers in there, the chapter numbers for the entire, I mean, it would be biblically, mechanically correct with all the information. You'd know which chapter of the Bible this was. Um, I would make... Uh, and it would certainly not be a black and white Bible. It couldn't be black and white. I mean, I'd have so many notes because I would have to use different colors to make sure that if you were reading uh, the Hellenica, you would know that, well, uh, uh, this verse, because it begins with a um, a red number, uh, it's not present in the Masoretic text, and, and do the same thing with the Hebraica. So, so you could know, uh, so that you could learn, uh, you know, in as much as, as you can learn, because people are different speeds there, and they, they just learn at different speeds. But uh, this endeavor would literally mechanically contain the word of the Lord our God. And if you wanted to know what it said, you'd have it in your hands. But uh, getting back to the topic at hand, yes, they're both massively different, and no, I don't have a problem with it because no single language can contain what God speaks. There's too much data coming out of his mouth when he, when he speaks. Now, uh, we know that uh, the Hebrew was smitten. We've already been told uh, in the Bible that one of the prophecies is we're going to be given a pure language and everybody knows. No one will debate with you. No scholar on this planet, they'll all tell you. Sorry, uh, God took all the vowels out of Hebrew. Let's just just live with it. You just have to live with it. You just have to face it. So it, what we do have is purely prophetic. And I've showed you that so many times, Aaron. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So that being the case, I don't have a problem with um, uh, these God-hating scholars. I, I don't have a problem labeling with the proper uh, terminology because uh, they're they're not Christians they were never Christians they went to school to get a degree so that they could make a really good living in a tax-free environment so it doesn't bother me at all when they try to say that the last few verses were not written by Mark therefore they're not canon no Mark never was smart enough to write it you could take that to the bank so we have what God has delivered to us. So, with that in mind, Aaron, back to you. So, um, basically, um, when we actually have begun the process of the the Hellenica, um, perhaps I will not be able to translate it all in my lifetime, but key it to Strong's, I can probably do that. I have the analytical Septuagint for the most part, which has the with the um, that's key to uh, Strong's, except for the words that aren't contained in Strong's. Uh, I'm going to have to alter that myself and uh, do the my editing there. Which, um, 
but but that that will take significantly less time than doing it word for word, like you know, um, like I had to do with Book of Enoch and what I'm planning to do with the rest of the Apocrypha. Um, it, it's a very hard and tedious process to do. Uh, key it to Strong to and translate, and you know, and have both the Greek and the English into Strong is quite a tedious process. Uh, but doing that, uh, so I have begun that process, and I actually am planning to remove the Book of Daniel from the from the manuscript that that I originally had. The uh, from it was based on Codex Vaticanus. I'm going to remove that and replace the original Septuagint version of Daniel. Why? Because most of uh, most uh, Septuagint manuscripts don't have the original Septuagint translation of Daniel. It's been replaced by Theodotion's translation of the Book of Daniel. And me and Dad talked about this and looked at it. And uh, both of these have the additions mentioned that we mentioned. The, the the both of them have the additions of you know that that are in the Septuagint version, but they're but they're different in those two versions. So, um, well, you and I decided that we were, we were going we we're actually going to put the original Septuagint version into the manuscript. And we're going to produce uh, to present it that way, and and we're we're going to add add back in the additions. Um, uh, one problem though is that one of the chapters um, comes before chapter one uh, in the Hebrew version, so we'd basically have to be call it chapter zero or something. What do you think about that? Definitely, um, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, we just have to. Decide on what to call it. Um, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps the the best way to do it would be one A and one B. That would probably be the best way to do it. But such things are, uh, you know, are well. The endeavor itself of getting it together—that's the main crux of the problem. Okay, so I put together. Um my canon of uh, uh, scripture uh, of, of the Deuterocanon, the, the the books that were not mentioned, I mean, are not contained in the our Bibles. So, um, first Ezra, uh, that's contained in the Septuagint. Uh, Tobit, Judith, first, uh, second, third, and fourth Maccabees. Wisdom of Solomon, uh, Psalms of Solomon, Syrac, and Baruch with the letter of Jeremiah. Um, those are all contained in the Septuagint. Uh, it varies among them, but uh, putting them all together, those are the books that are uh, contained in them completely. Um, then I move outside of that to what is considered pseudepigrapha. Um, they're not contained in the uh, Deuterocanon or, or any of that uh, until now. I am uh, trying to take them out of the title of pseudepigrapha and put them back uh, in, into uh, a title of good uh, a good name. So the first here is Jubilees. I added Jubilees because uh, Acts seven uh, verse fifty three and Galatians three nineteen say that 
that Moses received the law from angels. Um, and this is explained in Jubilees that an angel of the presence, uh, the Greek actually says, that it was Gabriel, the archangel, that came and gave the law to Moses and explained everything that he has in there. So, um, so, that's, the, uh, so that's the first one. Uh, the second one is the Apocalypse of Moses, also known as the, the life of the lives of Adam and Eve. Uh, I, I'm trying to come up with a better name for it because I don't like either. Um, they, they don't have a very authoritative type name, and Apocalypse of Moses implies that it's a Revelation type text, and it's not. It's it's not it's not literally like like prophecy. It, it's just a revelation in a sense that it's you know um, he was told this by angels this story, and I'm wondering if the 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 the, the part in the beginning saying that it was Moses who who was given to, um, I'm wondering if that is actually true if that was maybe added later by someone else i mean well we've said that the that the um that the, the bible that we have uh, it's clear that that was not altered but and that the holy spirit was in control of that but with the we can't really say the same for the apocrypha people could have taken a hold of them and and easily altered them and that's pretty clear within some you know other extra biblical texts so I, I don't know if for sure it was Moses who did this. I'm trying to come up with a better name for it, um, but we'll talk about that later. The Book of Genes and Jambres. Genes uh, and uh, Jambres. I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm pronouncing it right, but you know I'm an English speaker. <laughs> but um, this is mentioned in Second Timothy three verse eight. And uh, early church fathers say that this came from a certain book of the penitents of Janice and Jambres, and uh, they were supposedly the um, the magicians who came up against Moses uh, during the Exodus. So we have this in fragments, mere fragments, and, and very small. But and I'm um, I'm actually going to have to pay like. Uh, $99 or so in order to get a hold of it a hold of it but um, uh, I'll do whatever I can to, to be able to assemble this and then the book of Enoch of course which is quoted in the scriptures multiple times um, uh, in uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 14 to 15 quotes Enoch 1 verse 9 that's the most famous one um, second Esdras or also known as fourth Ezra, is uh, quotes Isaiah 26 verse 19 um, when it says, uh, "Your dead shall live; my dead bodies shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of the herbs, and the earth will cast forth the dead." Second um, Ezra 7:32 says, "The earth shall restore those that are asleep in her, and so shall the dust those who dwell in silence." And the secret places shall deliver their souls that are committed into them. Also, it's I found it quite possible that Matthew chapter one verse twenty one, where where Jesus is given his name, perhaps it actually comes from Second Esdras because it says, "For my son Jesus will be delivered, will be revealed with those that be within him." Uh, that 
be with him, and they will remain. They that remain shall rejoice for four hundred years. What do you think of that? That maybe Jesus's name comes from this apocryphal book. It would not surprise me, um, because, well, l let's go to the event horizon. That being the case, who would have been the one that have, would have known about it? Well, that would have had to have been an angelic uh, entity that would have <laughs> been able to know that, uh, well, purely extra-biblical information there. Uh, certainly, it would have been known to Mary or Joseph. So, it, it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all uh, that Jesus' name would be uh, mentioned beforehand in some manuscripts uh, doesn't surprise me at all. And I'm rather surprised that this hasn't gained more traction for this book before now. Well, it makes people think that it was, you know, changed by later by a Christian. But what if that's not the case? Anyway, so that statement, um, I'll move on to the vision of Isaiah. You will find this as ascension of Isaiah or martyrdom of Isaiah, but I decided to go by the name that the scripture calls it, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 32, verse 32. And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So this vision of Isaiah book is also uh, quoted in uh, uh, well not quoted but referenced in Hebrews 11 verse 37 they were stoned they were sawn apart they were tempted okay so this is talking about the martyrs and this um, actually comes from um, uh, vision of Isaiah verse 5 1 to 6 where Isaiah was said to have been sawn in half um, when he was, well, that's why he's called the martyrdom of Isaiah, this book is. Um, and that's, and then the Chronicles of Gad the Seer. Um, First Chronicles 29, verse 29 mentions it, this this book, or the Chronicles or the History of Gad the Seer. Um, this book has been found in Hebrew in India, actually, in the he in the Hebrew portion of India. Uh, so, like, this book has actually survived there. We don't have it in Greek. What do you think of that? It's in Hebrew, not in Greek. This is an anomaly that's just off the charts. It's in the wrong place. Uh, I mean, really, what are we talking about here? It's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, a true anomaly that should be considered, uh, I believe, but... I have not looked at it, um, but that's just off the hook <laughs> that uh, uh, there would be this, this one rogue manuscript that we have in Hebrew, by the way, not in Greek, but we got it in Hebrew. It's just absolute – and the, it's event horizon. It's just – wait a minute. This is in the wrong place. I don't even know how to categorize that, but back to the Ethiopic text, right? Um, is this the same sort of anomaly? I don't know, Aaron. But I would like to check it out. Yeah, they say they say it is um, a pseudo biblical Hebrew um, text. Um, I don't know how to find that because I don't I haven't looked at it yet. I'm, I'm, I believe you can find the Hebrew text of this online, the critical version. But you have to pay for it. It might be pretty expensive. 
Um, <laughs> but like, if I were to add this in in, in my manuscript, if you know, apocrypha would be would stand out like a sore thumb because it's the only one in Hebrew. <laughs> but um, yeah. So then uh, the revelation of Elijah or apocalypse of Elijah. I want to come up with a better name for that one too, like the Book of Elijah or so. But anyway, it's called. It's mentioned in First Corinthians two verse nine. But as it is written, things which I didn't see and the ear didn't hear, which didn't enter into the heart of man, these God has prepared for those who love Him. Um, so um, this revelation of Elijah is very fragmented. Like, like we have very little of it, and the most that we do have of it is actually just because it's quoted in the is from extracted from the Bible and extracted from other church fathers who quote it. Um, I did mention the book of of wars of the Lord. Um, in this document, but I actually very recently found out that there isn't a book of wars of the Lord. It's a mistranslation of the Hebrew, which says uh, from. Numbers 21, uh, 21 verse 14. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the, of the Lord. The Septuagint um, translates it as, it is said in a book that the wars of the Lord, yada, yada. And I found that it's probably actually from the book of uh, the upright or the book of Jasher. Uh, and no, people, I do not accept the... the, um, uh, the Book of Jasher, which has been circulating for a few years. I've looked at it multiple times, and it's just, uh, it's not consistent. It's not consistent with the other Apocrypha. I can't put it together with them because it contradicts the other Apocrypha. And it's very doubtful in writing when I read it. It, it, seems, it has, a, has a language that matches more of rabbinical um, uh, language than, you know, a, the original scriptural language. So, it seems to be a Turgum, a modern Turgum. It's not the original book of Jasher. I mean, it's just extremely clear to me. So so when I say the book of Jasher, I'm, I usually just refer to it as the book of the upright because that's the actual way it should be translated. It's Hayasher, not just Yasher. It says the upright. So it's a title, not a name. Uh, so, but anyway... No, when I say the book of Joshua, I'm not talking about that one because it's obviously not the same book. Um, yeah, and then the prayer of Manasseh is uh, – I it actually is um, mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 18 and 19, um, where it says that Manasseh repented and he had a prayer. Um, and it was written in the um, – it was written in the book's – uh, in the records of the kings of Israel, but also in the in the um, in the words of Hosea or the the words of the seers, the sayings of the seers. So I so I don't think the sayings of the seers is one book. I think it refers to a collection of books, like the book of Nathan the seer, and Gad the seer, Ido the seer, and Shemaiah, and and you know etc. So I think those books are. Um, uh, when you find it in my manuscript that I I have it, so I don't know which which you know exact one it came from, but I uh, so so I, I put all of them together in one thing and just 
put all the quotations to. So I don't know if it came from the book of Nathan or if it came from the book of, you know, Ido. I don't know which one it came from. So I just put it together in the in a book called The Sayings of the Seers. Okay. And then, of course, the book of the upright, which is mentioned multiple times in scripture. Um, and I actually reconstructed this and put some chapters and verses to it. Um, but it's been extracted from scripture. And the book of Eldad and Modad is actually pretty sad how little we have from this. Um, Numbers 11.26 mentions Eldad and Modad. They were people who um, were in the exodus. Uh, they, they were in the camp. They were prophets. Um, and James 4 verse 5 says, The spirit who lives in us yearns jealously. Um, the, uh, the church fathers say that this comes from the book of Eldad and Modad. You see this in book of the Shepherd of Hermas. There's actually a lot of uh, all all the ones the, the references that I have in my book in my collection of them are actually extracted from church fathers who quoted it and from the scripture. And then last, the assumption of Moses. Um, this is primarily found in Latin, but I was able to reconstruct to the Greek ver the the last chapter, which I called chapter thirteen uh, in the Greek, and I put that together. and It's and it's quoted most famously in Jude one nine. It says, "But Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil and arguing about the body of Moses, dare dare not bring against him an abusive condemnation, but said." May the Lord rebuke you. Um, it's also believed that one First uh, Corinthians two verse nine might also come from it. Things the eyes didn't that I didn't see even in the ear didn't hear, which didn't enter the heart of man. These God has prepared for those who love Him. So, um, yes, I also recently added a to, to my manuscript a book of the Lord. Um, it appears to literally be a. Uh, a book that was written by angels or something. I don't know. But Isaiah the prophet quotes it a few times um, and calls it the books of, of the book of the Lord or the book of the sayings of the Lord. Um, I'm actually thinking about maybe putting the first chapter of uh, Genesis in there because um, it might be from that book. I mean, what, do you, what say ye? All these things need to be considered, Aaron. Is that what you want to do? I mean, just imagine having a book of Enoch keyed to Strong's. I mean, your translation being neither here nor there. Just having it keyed to Strong's puts it into the God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christians' hands and lets them not only make their own decisions, but gives them a more voluminous uh, volume, a, a, a bigger construct with which they can study. And this is the real, real crux to the matter, is that people need to be studying God's Word. And if this can help, then why hasn't this been done before now? I mean, if we have Greek manuscripts of Jubilees why is it not keyed to Strong's, Aaron? And of course, there is no answer. They simply don't want you to have it. They don't want the layperson to be able to study it. And you are endeavoring to put these into their hands. 
And that, I say, is a godly thing. Yeah, we have a few fragments of it in Hebrew, of the book of Jubilees, for instance. In Hebrew, we have a lot of it, of the book of Tobit in Hebrew, um, from what we found at Qumran in, in the, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. But I'm having a lot of trouble getting a hold of them. People just haven't transcribed them. They, and, and the books that contain them are worth hundreds of dollars. Um, uh, I would love to present them to you all one day, but um, at the moment, it's you know, there's only so much I can do. Well, that being stated, uh, do you have an end date for this uh, Book of Enoch translation? Do you have an end date for that? What's your plans? I mean, really? What's what's your plans? What are you thinking? <sighs> Um, I feel like I need to go through a process of learning how to ed edit a book and publish it. Um, that's really what I'm struggling with. Was like, is, is right now is like all of that. I I've had to proofread all of my um all of my notes. I have a lot of notes, and uh, I don't know. Um. I don't. I just. I want to stop procrastinating on it, but it makes me quite anxious um, because this is, you know, this is this is like quite a walk, you know. But I'm actually gonna go into studying how to, you know, publish a book and edit it and um, see what I can do. I mean, obviously, I need to stop stressing myself out too much. Obviously. Obviously, because people are anticipating getting that into their hands, Aaron. I mean, once you do this, they won't need to ask you any questions. They'll be able to consult a chapter and verse, and grab their strongs, and look it up for themselves. Yeah, the big problem is, like, the setback recently is that I um, tried to come up with a, with a an alternate strongs thing, a strong alternate strongs numbering, um for for it for the words that aren't found in Strong's but are found in the Book of Enoch and you know I ended up um you know when I when I approached the other fragments which I hadn't worked on there was words that would go before the numbers that I wrote. So I'd have to completely rewrite that. So um I I, I might just you know decide to just remove the numbers that I have for those for now. And just um, just have the uh, the definition in the footnotes, and then later I will put together a uh, um, a new uh, a new um, edition for it. I can't really put that together until I have all the apocrypha done. Um, and the f really we need to make two additions to the at least the strong the Greek strongs. Um, the first edition would be um, the ones found in the book, uh, in the Septuagint that aren't in Strong's. But I obviously can't add the same, I mean, should I have add words that are in the, the Apocrypha but aren't in the Septuagint, or should that be a separate addition to Strong's? Aaron, we'll decide that at a later date. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a lot of work, but um it's a lot of work, son. You have to do what you can do. Yeah, and and really um 
I feel like after I get this book of Enoch published, the next thing I need to do is to key the the rest of the Septuagint to at least come up with a strong, Strong's numbering system for the ones that aren't present in Scripture. Then I need to work on the Apocrypha stuff and putting that together. Hopefully that will. I agree. This is. Do you want my two cents? Yeah. And boy, my two cents always winds up being about the value of those two mites that the woman put in, right? <laughs> this is what I think, Karen. You need to finish the Book of Enoch, get it published. Then you and I get to work on the Hellenica, get it put together, get to published, and then the last hurrah will be putting together the Apocrypha. That's the order of generation that I see. That's what makes sense, but at current moment, I can't help you, but, well, we'll see, because in a beautiful time, you know, the Lord might be just waiting for you to get the Book of Enoch published and done, and then he will free up my end, so I will be able to dedicate uh, the time required for us to put together and publish the Hellenica. Yeah, um, because... Yeah, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you all. Um, with the version, with the Enoch that I'm releasing to you is only a translation of the Ockman fragments. There's actually more chapters to the Book of Enoch that I haven't translated or keyed to strong yet. So we still have some ways to go with that too. But um, yeah, um, yeah, the, like all your Bibles, you know, your King James, you know, the NASB, all those. Those were done by a lot of people. We had a, they had a huge group of people who were all working at it at once. And what, I mean, me and my dad are planning to do this by ourselves. And you know, is that even possible to do in a lifetime? Well, one thing's for sure, we shall see. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>